You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. So the other sad outcome is that we raise children who are so moral, they do not know their need of the gospel. They hear of this Jesus and they think, well, I I would take a spot of Jesus over here, but like mostly I've got everything together. Come on, get spicy, Chelsea. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not looking for a fight. I just. I think it's very ironic that the uh, that the show would call itself Bible Man when you're going. That is just antithetical to the Bible itself. Like this is not the story the Bible tells. And then you call your show Bible Man. Just call it Moral Man or like. <laughs> I just don't think we will ever go awry. We will never go wrong when we stop and take the time to tell our children. How thankful we are that the Lord has entrusted them to us. Hey, this is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my lovely, lovely co-host and wife, my betrothed. My <laughs> is betrothed. Betrothed means we're gonna get married, doesn't it? Not my my actual wife, my wife, Mrs. Chelsea Griffin. How are you doing today, Chelsea? I'm doing great. I'm glad you clarified that we did go ahead and get married. Yes. Oh, yeah. Just a couple of years ago. But we're betrothed for our, you know, renewals. Do the people still do that? Do they renew their vows? Is that a thing? I think only if you're going through a rough time. Oh, then we don't need to do that. We're doing great, right? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, That's a laugh. Skip, That's not we, a, let's, <laughs> I think we could skip it this year. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Well, we are also joined today by a very special guest, uh, the queen of tiny theologians, Miss <laughs> Amy Gannett. All right, Amy, I'm so glad you're here with us. Wow, I've never been called the queen of anything. So this wow. is particularly exciting for me. Great. <laughs> well, it's not an election. You, you earned it by birth. So queen is... That's uh, right. Know, Not my queen. I didn't vote for you, but I I recognize the title. Amy, I'm so glad to have you with us today. I'm so glad you're here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so glad to be here, you guys. I feel so honored to be included in these conversations. I feel like um, I'm such a fan of your work on the podcast, so I just am so tickled to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, you're going to get the behind the scenes view and you will lose a lot of any of the luster or any of the, I mean, I've already mispronounced your name. I've already like uh, messed up a couple things. It just don't get your hopes up too high, Amy. There's a lot of edit. We have a great editor is what we've got. But I'm really excited about this conversation, Amy. There's um, when I was reading through some of the stuff again on Tiny Theologians this week, reminded me of a lot of the hot button issues that Chelsea and I get kind of fired up about when it comes to uh, theology that's designed to be taught to kids. And I really wanted to get into it. And Chelsea and I already had a kind of, uh, in my opinion, hilarious conversation about it this morning. But before we get into it, would you mind for the, for maybe the listeners who don't know you, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your ministry? So I wear kind of three different hats. That's how I think about it. I think about it um, in terms of three different roles when it comes to my vocation. Um, But my primary calling in life is that of wife to Austin and mom to Emerson and Elliot, two sweet daughters God has entrusted to us. But my three, um, the three buckets of my vocation are my husband and I are church planters here in Eastern North Carolina. We're planting Trinity Church Greenville um, here in Greenville, North Carolina. So um, we're very young in the church planting journey, but it has been Um, a really wonderful ride and a really wonderful journey for us to do together. Um, I oversee Tiny Theologians, which you mentioned, which is a line of discipleship resources that teaches theology to kids ages 2 to 12. 
Um, I'm sure some of your hot button topics are mine as well. So that will be fun <laughs> to talk through. Um, and then I'm also a Bible teacher and an author for adults wanting to grow in their faith. So I'm the founder and primary Bible teacher on the Bible Study Schoolhouse, which is a platform and resource um, for Christians wanting to grow deeper in their faith by going deeper in Bible study. Um, I'm the author of Fix Your Eyes, How Theology Leads to Worship, um, which is basically structured like a systematic theology book, but it's the at the lay level version. I wanted to do theology for the everyday person, and so that's what yeah. Fix Your Eyes aims to do. So theology and seeking the Lord in His Word and doing it for from ages really to until wherever we're at in life is basically, you could sum it up, um, that's basically what God has called me to make my life about and it's really joyful work. That's wonderful. You really do come out with great stuff. And I want to actually talk more about your book, uh, Fix Your Eyes, here in a little bit. I want to come back to that and talk about some of your adult theology as well. But for for the moment, I, especially for the topic and for the podcast we've got, I want to focus a little bit about what you're doing for kids can you start by maybe just telling us where did the idea come for for tiny theologians? Where did it come from? What's the vision for that kind of that brand of of uh, theological work for kids? Yeah, well, I started writing Bible studies for women um, several years ago and was offering theological training for women. Um, I just graduated from seminary and I noticed that women were hungry to learn these things. Um, and were unable to go to seminary. And so I thought, wow, we can make this so accessible. Let's do some online Bible studies, some online um, theology courses, that sort of thing for women at a really affordable price point. Let's make this really accessible. And I noticed that the people who enrolled were either early career women or empty nesters. Like there was this big gap mm. of parents of younger kids. And when I started doing some digging, asking more about that, I had a lot of parents at that age say, I have no time to study theology, but I'd really love for you to make something for my kids. Mm. Um, and it it told me something at that, um, that un, unearthed something, I guess you could say, um, that I realized just to be true of a lot of Christians in that season of life is that we will do a lot for our kids that we won't do for ourselves. We'll spend money on new shoes for wow. our kids every school year. When was the last time you bought yourself new running shoes? You know, we will pack our kid a balanced lunch for school or make it at home. We want to make sure all the food groups are represented. And then we're like licking a peanut butter off a spoon for lunch. Like we will just do a lot of things for our kids that we won't do for ourselves. And I think when it comes to theology and knowing the Lord, that can be one of those areas. So I wanted to make resources for kids, but like my secret plan was to teach these moms <laughs> theology. You know, like if you're going to teach your kids about what atonement is, I'm pretty sure you're going to learn it, you know, as you're teaching your kids. So tiny theologians, I started with one set of flashcards, the ABCs of theology, and they were actually called the Theolo Tiny Theologian Flashcards. It was just the one set I didn't plan anymore. Um, but it just took off. And the most rewarding thing for me was that parents were writing in and saying, now I know what atonement means. I now know what the word sacrament means. I know, um, I just know more now about theology because I've been doing this alongside my kid. And so um, an entire line developed from it. I had been a kids ministry director for a couple of years in seminary and just saw that there was a lot of moralizing, a lot of Bible stories where you can be brave like David. Um, you can be bold like Daniel, those sorts of things. But I just wanted to teach kids about who God is and um, do it in a way that felt accessible. I just felt like it felt like a topic. It felt like theology was off limits to teach kids. 
Yeah. That's what it felt like. Or it felt like only the fundamentalists could do that. Like if you're going to teach theology or teach doctrine, it felt like that could only be for super, super conservative groups of Christianity. And I just thought there is, there is a way to do this. There has to be a way to do this. And so I wanted to do it. And so that's how it started. So I put my seminary training to use and tied it with what I was learning about parenting and from kids ministry and a whole line of discipleship tools sort of just came in tow. Okay. I love how subversive your plan was. You're like, I'm going to aim at the mom through the heart of the child. I think that's so great. The The way to the the theology of the parent is through the kid. And I want to talk more about that uh, behaviorism here in a second. But what are, the, what are the ones, you mentioned the atonement. What were the things that you felt like, hey, no mom's going to pick up a book about this. Our dad's going to pick up a book about this. But I'm so excited that a family is not just going to learn about this, but maybe uh, maybe something that worked better than you thought it would uh, when it comes to theology that you're like, I'm aiming at this kid and it really is making a difference. I think two resources that we have for kids, two training tools come to mind first. The first is called Christ at the Center, and it's um, a set of like almost 80 flashcards that goes through every book of the Bible and teaches the authorship, um, cultural setting, a, a Christ-centered summary of that book of the Bible, and then it teaches biblical genre. And I am so encouraged when I'll run into moms at conferences or um, dads occasionally will email in and say, I didn't know that, that I was reading poetry like I was reading the New Testament letters, and it's helped so much to identify that. So um, kids can do a lot of things with these cards. They can use them like as um, a homeschool curriculum if they just want to go through one book at a time and understand the different genres and stuff like that. But they can play matching games with them, like put all the poetry books together, put all the um, wisdom lit books together, that sort of thing. And... Um, that specifically grouping them according to genre has been something that parents have given me amazing feedback from their own quiet times about Mm. that is really exciting to me Um, because I don't think a lot of parents are quick to pick up books on biblical genre. Now, my friend Christy Inubile just came out with literarily, which goes in a very accessible way through all of the biblical genres. And it's a phenomenal book. And I recommend it all the time. And I still feel like parents are reticent to pick up a resource like that because it's not a devotional. It's not um, a how-to guide for parenting. Like, those are the things we're quick to do. Um, But I feel like that um, there was a lot of fruit from that resource. And then the other one was a huge surprise to me. I sort of said, you know, with, with time and resources, I'm very frugal with 90%. Like, I need to know that our customer base, this will serve them well. Um, 90% of the time, I'm like, we're not doing crazy ideas. We're doing the stuff that I know that I know that I know will serve our families. But that way for 10% of the time, I can do just what I want. Like (laughs) I can just create the resource I wish existed in the world. And who cares if anybody buys it? We're making it because I wish it existed in the world. And one of those resources is Tiny Systematics, which is a systematic theology workbook for kids. And it was part of that 10%. I thought, I just really want to make this. I, I, it was just a burden in my bones, you could say. And it has been one of our top sellers. I'm so thrilled to see parents desire to teach their kids theology in a systematically structured way. And even to hear from parents that it has helped their kid understand why they need to put their shoes on Sunday morning to go out the door for church because they can draw upon what do we learn about? What does it mean? What does God's word say about the church? You know, they can draw upon that and it actually really plays into practical daily habits that they're building as a family. That to me is the real win. 
I love that. Okay, I want to go back to what you said about moralism. This is something Adam and I get fired up about, uh, is teaching, Christian teaching that is targeted to children that is fear-mongering and uh, behavioristic of just trying to get children to behave better and to use the God of the word of God, um, to make kids behave the way we want them to. Why do you think there is so much of that? What's so dangerous about that? Let's talk about that. Well, I think the reason that it is, there is so much of it is because sadly, in a lot of cases, it works. Mm. It will stop. If we, if we shame our children with the word of God long enough, Mm. rhythmically enough, their behavior may change. Um, and so in a sense, it works in the short term. It ends the tantrum when you can threaten. Um, it stops the behavior of, it, it makes our, our tween who is thinking about hanging out with friends that maybe we're concerned about. If we make them afraid of those friends and the influences that they could be on their lives, it might change their habits and who they sit with in the cafeteria in a way that makes us more comfortable as parents. So I think there's a lot of it because on a surface level, it seems like it works. Mm. Um, And it produces what we would say is false fruit. But parents are like, well, look at that. Mm. Um, But what it doesn't do is helps kids. It doesn't help kids learn. It doesn't Mm. bring us as parents into the learning process with them. It doesn't engage what is underneath the tantrum or what is underneath their relationship with those friends that we're concerned about. It doesn't develop them into the right kinds of people. It just helps them maybe say the right kinds of things in the moment. Um, So I think there's a lot of it for that reason. But um, I think one of the things that we should be most fearful of as parents, and I don't mean fearful in a way that doesn't, um, that negates God's goodness, that negates the God sovereignty. But one of the things that should make us like shake in our boots before the Lord a little bit is the idea that we could teach our children to say all the right things, behave the right way, but they have never grasped their need of a savior Mm -hmm. who will make them into the right kind of person simply by being in relationship with him. Amen. So he will make them a son or a daughter. He will make them a redeemed person, um, but, but it's only through relationship. So we should fear being successful in the short term if we're not actually training our kids to walk the very long path of the kingdom of God. Yeah, it's a a very sad outcome for a kid uh, to be able to say, you know, I went to church every Sunday, um, or even, you know, my family talked about the Bible at home, read the Bible at home. uh, But it wasn't until, you know, college where I went to some ministry somewhere else, and I heard the gospel, and it changed my life. And they look back and go, I've just been terrified of, you know, lying, cheating, and stealing, and never had any idea about this servant king who laid his life down for me. Um, But I think in some groups, you know, whether it's moms or children's ministry or Christian private school, our kids have been a part of a couple different um, Christian private schools. And I think there's this fear there is like, if we preach free grace, then the children will revolt and we won't have (laughs) control. And uh, we should be much more afraid of uh, five and six-year-olds instead of their their revolution against us when they're already too small to (laughs) 
to overtake us. We should the be uprising much... is not that terrifying. No, right, right. right. We should be yeah. much more afraid of, of our kids leaving our homes totally unable to, to even defend their own faith because they don't have a real faith. And then I have another just kind of side question about this. Have you ever seen that show, Bible Man? Oh, no. oh gosh, that's ringing a bell. Oh, man. I asked Chelsea <laughs> I think about I've this seen this something morning. Of it. If I haven't seen it, I think I've seen something of it. It's a nightmare. Um, it's just, it's really ironic. Oh, it's called Bible Man. And uh, it's, here we go. It's Hot just sports pure... opinion on Bible Man. Just taking down the Christian Cartoon Network. Let's go. Yeah. If they want to come after me, they can. If they, <laughs> Is if it they still take me. Around? From, yes. I, I don't know. Well, I think it's accessible, but I don't think anyone's That's... making new episodes. Yeah. yeah it's you not can. Like still producing. Okay. 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 I'm ready. Give me your hot take. <laughs> oh, man. It's just awful. Like, basically, the, the enemies are, like, you know, lying, whining, right. complaining. Yeah. And there's, yeah. you know, some, like, literal villain who's, like, in charge of, of complaining or lying or something like that. And at the end of every episode, they're never redeemed or forgiven. No one ever has a char- heart change. They're always, like, cast into an oblivion somewhere or, like, uh, <laughs> or killed, you know. Uh, it's, it's really... Yeah, it's wild. But it's the, wild that it's called Bible man. Yeah, the and weapon it, is and the Bible, is... and it makes people unwhiny, and it makes people like uh, tell the truth. Oh, which oh, I like. I'm wow, against I'm yeah. real behavior modification. Yes. Yeah. Here. Now this is just <laughs> yes. an example of what I think we see all the time, right, Chelsea? Of like uh, things directed at kids that are supposed to be Christian, and by Christian, what we mean is we will make nice kids out of your children, and that is not the goal of the Bible. The Bible is not a story about hey, if you would just do what's nice, then if people would like you. Uh, it's a story about, hey, if you follow this God, people may not like you. That's the story we're trying to teach yeah. these kids. And that's yeah. why I love so much of what you put together, Amy, is you're actually aiming at training kids on theology. And obviously you said, you know, it's through subversive messages, you're training parents, but it's aimed in a way and accessible in a way that the kids are learning who our God is. Yeah. Chelsea, did you want to say anything else about uh, Bible Man or Veggie Tales or anybody else you want to take on this morning before... I ask another question. Come on, get spicy, Chelsea. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not looking for a fight. I just. I think it's very ironic that the uh, that the show would call itself Bible Man when you're going. That is just antithetical to the Bible itself. Like this yeah. is not the story the Bible tells. And then you call your show Bible Man. Just call it Moral Man or like <laughs> kill, killing the demons or whatever you want to call it. But Bible Man. The Joneses, seems, like yeah. just call yeah. it. Upstanding citizen, you know, yeah. Who, yeah. who lives a moral life. So, Chelsea, I actually think that that highlights something for us. Um, you mentioned how sad it is for a kid to grow up in the home where the Bible's being read and they're going to church and stuff like that. And then to go on and be like, I hear the gospel in college, but I had no idea that um, there was this suffering servant. I had no idea that there was a sacrificial lamb. Um, and I think, I think that is one sad outcome. I think another sad outcome is that. We raise such moral children that when they hear the gospel, they can't identify themselves in the gospel Mm. narrative. Mm. We've never taught them, like, we've never taught them that deep in our broken bones is a need for a savior. We haven't modeled our dependence on a savior. We haven't modeled um, humble repentance that seeks forgiveness from someone other than ourselves. So the other sad outcome is that we raise children who are so moral they do not know their need of the gospel. Wow. They hear of this Jesus and they think, well, I, I would take a spot of Jesus over here, but like mostly I've got everything together. I mean, mm-hmm. the worst case scenario for us as parents is that, and I'm, I'm not a doom and gloom person, but worst case scenario for us as parents is that we raise 
um, moral children who are successful in school and get good grades are well liked by their peers, get a good job, make good money, and die a, a meaning a life that is a devoid of gospel meaning yeah. like mm-hmm. that to us so much of moralism is coaching us in that direction right yeah. and we have to say as parents we would consider that a loss yeah because yeah. the gain is to know jesus and so i actually think that reflects on that reflects on our hearts are we parents who say Lord, I need you and my toddler is throwing a tantrum. Or do I need you when I've read in your word that you are my comfort, but every time I get stressed, I reach for my phone and I'm not actually modeling for my child that I can take my anxiety to the Lord in humble dependence. Are we modeling for them that Jesus is an addition to a relatively otherwise good and upstanding life? Or are we showing them each day that the gospel is something that takes root in our hearts and through Christ, we walk through this life as more than conquerors, not financially, not in terms of our community reputation, but we walk through life in union with the, the Son of God who then redeems all things. And we can put that on display for them. So I think that the burning in your bones, Chelsea, that you get when it comes to Bible man, when you when you hear those sort of moralistic stories, I think we're right to sort of say, we have to push back against this because the stakes are too high. Yeah. You know, the, the stakes are just too high to um, have well-obeying well children right. who know how they should behave in public, but who miss the gospel in the end. Yeah, I think a really yeah. sad thing is that I think if most Christian parents were being honest, based on the conversation we're having, I think they would say, yeah, I would prefer a Pharisee for a child than a disciple. I'd prefer a kid who's going to uh, care more about the mint and cumin to get everything exactly right and not bother me than we would about the kid who's like sold out and willing to give up everything and willing to sacrifice. Even, you know, when Christ talks about the family, he says, man, families are going to be split over me. It's not, he didn't paint a picture of like the easiest family system ever based on Christianity. He said, people will, will not like each other even within their own homes. Versus what the parent would love is the the kid who's so well behaved that they reflect well on them as a parent, that's so well behaved that lets the parent do as they see fit without being bothered by the child. And that, uh, actually, if you describe that to a T, you end up with the the religious class that Christ kept calling out and saying, all you care about is what's happening on the outside, and your heart is so far from me. Even when your lips mm. give me service, or your whitewashed tomb. And I certainly don't want our kids to be that. It's part of the reason our show is really rooted in the sea of spiritual leadership in the home. And it, while I am for a moral child, I am for a well-behaved child, I'm for discipline. Uh, there's a great uh, uh, way for a kid to be trained up. And when they are old, they will not part from it. I want all those things. Mm-hmm. But our spiritual leadership is rooted in a gospel message in which the kid is the sinner, not the hero, and in which the the savior that they need is Jesus. So when we talk about spiritual mm-hmm. leadership, one of the things I love is just to hear from somebody like you, Amy, you create so many great resources I wonder, would you mind giving us a little window into what spiritual leadership looks like in your home? Like, uh, what does it look like when you and your husband are trying to lead your kids? What are you guys focusing on? And and, uh, just what does it look like? Give us a window into your house. Well, Adam, even as you're sharing that, it's it's a reminder to me of part of the conversation that Austin and I are having all the time is that it's so easy for us to look for our kids growing in wisdom. Yeah. which means obeying the first time because we're in the toddler stage. 
that is actually growing in wisdom for a toddler to decide I have two options to obey or disobey and wisdom says to obey. Um, so what we want is that we want that behavior change. We do want moral children. Right. We just don't want moralistic children. Amen. There's a big difference there. Um, we often say uh, when we write tiny theologians ad copy, we will often say, um, no watering down, no moralism. And then people will respond and be like, you don't want more. It's like, no, not moralism, not no morality, like, but that is the fruit. So, you know, scripture, um, scripture constantly talks about the fruit of the spirit, the fruit that comes, that's the fruit. What's planted is the gospel and the, the seed of all of that is the spirit. So we want to start there. So when it comes to spiritual leadership in our home, what we have done in this stage, because we have really little ones, um, we're much more about creating rhythms of discipleship that our children will recognize and expect that will train them in the way of the kingdom, which is how we talk about it, the way of the kingdom in an ongoing way. So we do things like morning baskets um, with our toddler and our even our um, eight-month-old now participates um, by being a part of it. You know, she's not, um, we're not looking for her to do much other than sit and listen to the stories but we do morning basket in the morning not because we expect emerson our almost three-year-old not because we expect her to um, regurgitate a bunch of information but because we believe the rhythm of having time in the word together with your parents praying together singing songs to the lord together all of that is a rhythm that we want in her life we want her established and rooted in a rhythm of first thing in the morning what are we doing? Yeah. We're actually, you know, if I want her as a teenager to open her Bible in the morning, well, probably a, a wisdom would say, let's start now with 30 minutes, 20 minutes on a blanket doing morning baskets. So we use ABCs of um, God's attributes right now with her because she's learning her alphabet and the letter sounds and stuff like that. So then we talk about God being all knowing and beautiful and creative and divine um, and eternal. We talk through those attributes. We sing a song together. That's a that's a hot topic I could get on, Chelsea, is some of these kids' songs. Okay, that like even I was raised for real with. I'm like sometimes I sing them and I'm like, we're not gonna sing that one again. Like I'm like, Emerson, forget <laughs> yeah. that real fast. You know. Um, we're gonna sing a better one. Um, but so we do a lot of scripture memory through song. We love slugs and bugs and stuff oh, like yeah. that. So that's one of our rhythms. We are reading um Little Pilgrim's Big Journey at lunch. We read a chapter of that while both girls are in their high chairs. And then after dinner each night during dessert, we have our Bible story time with dad. During dessert. I love um, that. Oh, always. I mean, so this this is actually kind of surprising to me. I started, I shared that online and that we we do a Bible story every, you know, while eating ice cream, I think is what I said. Or like, so how often do you do it? And I was like. Every night. We eat ice cream every <laughs> night, I'm pretty sure. Like, I can't, I can't think of the last time we skipped dessert, you know? And so then I was like, well, let's tie a discipleship principle to this. Let's tie a time in to have um, a Bible story. And we're reading through the beginner story, um, gospel story Bible right now. Um, and we'll probably move on to other resources when we finish it. Um, we just want that to be a time for her to hear the stories of the Bible in a way that teaches biblical principles. So right now we're all about rhythms. And um, a lot of spiritual leadership has to do with discipline right now, where we're teaching her, um, like I said, we're teaching her wisdom and trying to acknowledge when she chooses wisdom, when we say, I noticed that you um, had the option to obey or disobey, and you obeyed 
you know, right away, all the way and with a happy heart. You know, we yeah. say that so often in our home. Um, we talk a lot about um, sharing because God has shared with us. So, um, and we say often in our home, God has called us to be people who share. So we're going to share with our sister, um, but we can't do it without him. I can't do it without him. So let's ask him to help us. So we're trying to imbibe these rhythms, these habits so that maybe someday when she's a teenager or even before that, when she says, this is actually really hard. It's really hard for me to learn to share my clothes with my younger sibling or um, to, you know, sort of walk through a difficult thing with a friend. She'll remember, it is really hard to do this. And I can't do it without God. I can't do it without his help. Um, and my hope and prayer is that she'll turn to him in prayer, like we've done, you know, dozens and dozens of times each day in these little, little years. Hey friends, it's March. And that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They got the brand new Little Pilgrims Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com, see all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus, and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, FAMILY10, to get 10% off your entire order. Sometimes hard things happen. Sometimes they happen to children. When God Makes Scribbles Beautiful is a beautifully illustrated book that helps kids trust that God can take their hard things and use them for good. This picture book imagines that the hard things in a child's life is a scribble following him everywhere. Readers will journey through God's promises from the Bible, inspiring hope and faith in God's good and redemptive plan. Hard things don't always go away, but God can turn them into something beautiful. Available at BeautifulScribbles.com. Download a free parent connection guide and printable scripture cards. Well, let's talk about that difficulty real quick. So the picture you just painted of your household, I love it. I love the way you guys are in You're using a, a book that kind of fictionalizes some uh, parables and some ideas. You're using uh, flashcards to talk through your ABCs, but also the attributes of God. So you're reading the Bible while you're eating ice cream, which is probably what we'll do in glory. So you're, you're practicing, you know, what your kids will see one day in heaven is, is bluebell and Bible or whatever, whatever you guys have going on. Right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, for the listener who's going, man, Amy's house sounds like perfect. It sounds like they're just nailing it. Could you just share with us? Maybe is it ever hard for you? I mean, you talked about it being hard for your kids that ever is, is spiritual leadership ever difficult for you and your husband? And where do you find um, encouragement in those, in those moments? 
It is hard, especially as a ministry family. Like I said, we're church planters. And so I think one of the biggest areas where I've had to grow and lean on the Lord, well, I'll name two areas. One is I didn't know how much of a people pleaser I was until I had kids. And I thought that fruit of my walking with the Lord that sort of plays itself out in parenting would be well-behaved children on a Sunday morning. Um, it's been a big um, the Lord's doing a big unwiring in my brain, especially about our time in church community, because I want our girls to be at home there. Um, they have to be. They're there a lot during the week. They're at our church building in that space a lot. Sunday mornings are a lot for them. You know, we don't have a staff. It's um, We have a part-time worship leader. And then Austin and I, like Austin's the pastor. I'm the director of discipleship. That's it. <laughs> for set up, tear down, clean up. Yeah clean the bathrooms, sanitize the nursery toys, pick out the trash from him preaching to like creating slides. Like it's, it's us, you know? And yeah. so our kids have to come along for a lot of that. Um, so the Lord has given me a lot more grace for my kids when they're at church. And um, one of the things that we have had to guard ourselves against is feeling judged by other parents. I think parents watch us because we're in leadership. Right. But hopefully what they'll see is parents who are gracious with their kids understand that their kids have God-given limits when it comes to being hungry or tired or frustrated because they've been in this building for five, hour, five hours already this morning, and it's not even time to go yet. Yeah. You know, that's just hard on a toddler. That's hard on a baby. Um, and so that has been a big area of rewiring for me. Another area that I didn't know I struggled until I had kids is I didn't know that I was an angry person mm. until I had a kid who disobeyed me defiantly. I all of a sudden was like, oh, Lord, I need you to deal with this because I have not experienced this in the past. I just am so frustrated that, you know, we just said to our our child, do this. And then she didn't do it. And then we say, okay, do this or this is the consequence. And she still didn't do it. And then we gave the consequence and she still won't do it. Like all of a sudden I'm like all in a fluster, you know, yeah. and going, Lord, this is this is new for me. You know, this is a new emotion, but the Lord has really been in, um, working. We're reading a parenting book together. Um, we've been talking with some um, parents that we really respect that are a couple seasons ahead of us. Um, but the Lord reminding me, there's a spiritual principle here, but reminding me and my husband that our children are learning that it would be disappointing if they just changed their behavior and never actually like, like if they're demanding a cookie before dinner, it'd be really disappointing if I just said um, no. And they said, okay, mom said no. But they never actually learned. Sometimes I have to put off things that I want right now. Mm -hmm. Like that's the bigger principle. They're learning actually really big lifelong principles that meet, like that kind of map their way to the kingdom of God. I have to put off what I want right now. Um, I have to be content with what I have. Um, I have to share with others what God has entrusted to me. Like these are really big principles. So the Lord has been slowing me down in parenting and pointing me to the bigger, the bigger thing that's happening underneath this tantrum. Does the tantrum still happen? Yes. But at least I can see and even say to my child, you know what? You are learning that we have to do our work before we play. I asked you yeah. to clean up your toys before we go outside. That is really hard. You know, it's really hard for me as your mom to do my work before I can do the, my fun things. Mm. That's really hard. Now let's go clean up your toys. Where do you think we should start? Yeah. And then we can put our shoes on, you know, stuff like that. The Lord is teaching me um, that we're all 
learning. We're all growing. And so those have been areas that we've had to um, really lean into discipleship in the moments of discipline or correction. And then also the Lord has um, shown me through a book that I'm reading right now that I am so slow to affirm my children when they do what's right. I'm so quick to correct them when they do what's wrong, but I'm so slow to affirm them when they're doing what's right. And actually, when we open God's word, so much of what we see Paul do, especially in the letters, the the epistles in the New Testament, is he starts by just saying, like, I give God thanks that I even met you. I am so thankful for your partnership in the gospel. And then he's like, now we've got some work to do. Like, right. Paul does not pull any punches. He's like... You guys need to grow up in Christ. A lot of his letters are really, um, he is doing some aggressive correction, we might say, to their behavior. He's like really telling them, this does not mirror the gospel, the way you're living. But he starts by noticing all the ways that he is thankful for them and gives them glory. And I just don't think we will ever go awry. We will never go wrong when we stop and take the time to tell our children how thankful we are that the Lord has entrusted them to us. Um, we can affirm their dignity and share with them that we respect them by listening to their voices. We can tell them how lucky we are, how blessed we are that we get to parent them. Tell them, like, we can look them in the eyes and say, I adore you. You Mm -hmm. are my joy. And how many other places are they going to hear that in this world? They're not. They're not going to hear that from others. And so we have the opportunity to praise them when they're doing what's right in a way that mirrors scripture, but a way that they're not going to find in culture. So as parents, we sort of have that unique responsibility, I would say, um, to give them praise for the things that we see in that God is doing in them as they are learning. Yeah. That's good. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks for your vulnerability. Moral of that story is kids are wild and um, and God is so good. Is he not so gracious to use something as desirable and wonderful as motherhood to teach us something that we could have maybe never learned any other way? Yeah. Part of my story is just that those moments you're talking about, just looking at your kids and going, I adore you and you are my joy. It really took being a mother and that part of motherhood came so easy to me. It is so easy to me to look at my sons and just go, you are a delight. But it took that for me to actually grow in the faith to believe that God could see us like that, that God yeah. could speak to us like that. I I found it very easy to believe that God loved us universally, that Jesus died for the world. But thinking of God the Father talking to me the way that is is no problem to talk to my kids. I look at my kids and I just go, you're so beautiful. You're, you're, I just love the way you're wired. I love who you are. And to think that God would look at us and speak to us like that, want to be near us the way that I want my kids in my arms. I want them in my arms all the time. And um, God was so sweet to give me a gift like motherhood so that I could actually add it to my faith mm-hmm. that God really wants to be with me. Yeah, um, so. Good. And to come to him in the midst of struggle, right. not mm-hmm. when you're all cleaned up. I mean, that's the narrative of so much adult Christianity is like, I'm going to get this all figured out and then I'll talk to God about my sin, but I'm like going to make a plan to get rid of the sin in my life. Then I'll talk to him about it. Yeah. And just yesterday morning, as we were recording this on a Monday, so yesterday morning, as we were getting ready to go to church, I looked at my toddler sitting in her little coloring chair and she just had that look on her face like... I knew she had just done something, Mm -hmm. (laughs) something she was not supposed to do. 
and I knew the markers were over there. So there was a very good chance there was a wall that had been colored on, you know, like that. I'm looking at her face going, there's a very good chance of this. And um, I just looked at her and said, do you want to come to me? Do you want to, do you want to come here? And she came over and she buried her head in my neck. I said, is there anything you want to tell me? And she whispered in my ear what she had done. I said, I'm so glad that you came to me. I'm so Mm -hmm. glad that you, that you told me, you know, and gosh, scripture testifies against our instincts in saying, and if you know how to give good gifts to your children, like scripture even says you being evil, you being fallen and broken and marred with sin, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your heavenly father want to give good gifts to those who ask him? So if we can do this in our limping way that we do with our kids, Chelsea, like you said, if we can do this, how much more does the perfect father want to give us grace, bestow grace on us? Does he want us to come to him in the midst of our struggle? Um And how much more does his heart actually reach out to us? You know, we see our children struggling and our hearts are like lurching out of our chest. We want to help them. How much more does the heart of a good father lurch towards us when we sin, when we stumble, when we struggle? How much more does he run towards us like the prodigal son's father did? Um, I think we often think God cool and aloof when we have sinned and warm towards us when we're behaving well. Um, But actually... That's the inverse of the gospel. His heart comes towards us, moves towards us, stirs towards us most deeply when we are suffering, when we are sinning, when we are in need of his presence and his peace. He moves towards us first. And that is such a, that's our inheritance in the gospel. That is such a good gift of his grace. Amen. The inverse of the gospel. I love the way you describe that. That is exactly right. My heart does Mm -hmm. tend towards that too. That's my instinct is to is to uh, betray uh, the Lord and how much better he is than I give him credit for in the midst of my own yeah. mistakes. Now, before we let you go, and I want to ask you, you know, if we can pray for you here in a second, but I do want our listeners to know, because I'm sure after listening to you, the way uh, this conversation has gone and how much I've been blessed by just what you've shared during the last 30 minutes, I'm sure our listeners are going, how do I get more of what Amy is talking about? Uh, besides just, you know, the 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 um, subliminal messages she puts in her kids' resources for parents. And you did mention that you have a book, uh, Fix Your Eyes, that is for adults. And it is, uh, I I have it here in our living room. It's great. It is uh, written to be accessible to everyone, to, to recognize what we believe, that everyone is a theologian. But besides that point, listeners, we get to break some news, I think. I think we're breaking the news here. But Amy is going to join our family of podcasts with Training the Church, which means that maybe we'll get to see more of each other, certainly get to get to root for each other and support each other. But can you give us a picture of both uh, the podcast and, uh, and what people can expect? I know it's not immediate, it's not right around the corner, but it's coming. And then a little bit about Fix Your Eyes and your passion for also ministering to adults. Yeah, we are so excited um, to join the family at Training the Church. We just... Um, have been so tickled to watch the Lord unpack this vision for tiny theologians that we never thought he would lead us into. Um, But we are going to be launching the tiny theologians podcast next fall. And it's an adventure podcast. The first season will be all about an adventure through the attributes of God. So it's sort of for the preschool and early elementary years. Um, I'm so excited. The 
Um, narrative will follow TJ and Tori, a brother and sister who ask big questions about a big God and then go on an adventure to um, learn more about him. So um, we'll be digging into topics like what does it mean that God is omniscient, that he knows um, everything? What does it mean that God is beautiful and why does he make beautiful things? And how am I included in that plan? So I'm so excited about it. This project has been one in my heart for probably a couple of years, but one that I really didn't think um, the Lord would call us to bring to fruition. But now here it is, and it has been just the very best surprise. I mean, we are having the best time recording this for y'all. So Love it. Um, it is going to launch um, September of 2023. So it's a little way off. Um, adventure podcast. I mean, I'm learning so much. I'm not a podcaster, but here, <laughs> here I'm just learning so much about what it takes. You're doing but, a great job. Um, I, Particularly in adventure podcast, you know, we we have um, a cast of um, voice actors that are putting the voice to these narratives. And um, because we want to make it so catching for kids, we're in- including just so much um, post-production type stuff so right. that there's sound effects and music and um, stuff like that. So this really is the show that I want my daughter listening to. That, I mean, that it, to put it really bluntly... Um, she's coming up on preschool years. This is what I want her, even as she learns her alphabet and the sounds that letters make, um, as she decides what it means to go to school for the first time. And as she thinks about what it means to have friendships and have a relationship with her siblings, this is the show I want her listening to. So, um, that we, again, making the things that we kind of just wish existed in the world. Here we are, we're doing it. So I'm really excited about that. And then, um, Fix Your Eyes, I really wrote because I wanted um, to create an accessible systematics. In our local church, we're constantly hearing from people that they want to grow in um, their theological knowledge. People want to grow in knowing God. That's a wonderful desire. But the problem is, is that I can grab a book off my shelf that's a systematic. And it, they're roughly 600 to 800 pages long. Right. You know, there, there are very few moms of young kids that want to grow in theology that you can hand that to and it doesn't feel like a discouragement. Mm. Um, like here, okay, the way to know God theologically is through this book. You have to read it. I mean, nobody has time for that. Um, and I will say systematic theologies are all written academically. So somebody who's been, you know, just reading, you know, fiction or something else, they're going to find it kind of dull. And I, I sympathize with that. And so I wanted to write um, a book that would read like a trade book at the lay level, that any man or woman could pick up and say, I now understand what Christians believe. I now know what it means when people talk about the Trinity. I can articulate that. And I also know how it drives me to worship God differently. Why? What are some of the ways that God being triune shapes our worship? What does it mean that Christ came? He was incarnated in the flesh. But actually, how does that change how I live my life today? Um, I really sought to answer these questions in this book. So it's structured like a systematic, which just means it takes one topic at a time. The Trinity, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, um, God's attributes, the church, the final things or end times, um, those sorts of topics. It takes each topic one at a time, salvation and sanctification, and it unpacks it biblically so that we understand what Christians believe about this topic And then also shows how does this connect to our everyday life of worship? How does it connect to our discipleship? How does it change things we do in our home? Um, So if people are wondering, you know, how does the fact that Jesus was made flesh and walked this earth, how does that connect to how I practice hospitality in my home or whether or not I go to the local church or watch online? I mean, how does it 
shape and form all of these things. Well, that is what this book seeks to answer. It seeks to be applicable and accessible. I love all of that. I'm so grateful that you're contributing it because Amy, you have a voice that needs to be heard. I'm excited about kids getting to hear a podcast that is directed at them. That's theologically rich. That's going to be wonderful. And I'm so glad uh, that you put out Fix Your Eyes too. The accessibility that you're creating to to the deep truths of God is is really valuable. So thank you. Now, before we let you go, would you mind sharing with our listeners if they can pray for you? What are the ways we can be praying for you and for your family and for your church? You can pray for me as I am navigating for the first time um, having a team at Tiny Theologians. It's such a blessing. Um, In the last year, I've brought on two part-time employees, um, two women who work remotely and work from home, um, and they have been just this huge gift to me. Um, And now I suddenly, it like dawned on me a little too late, like now I lead a team. And so I'm growing. I'm like (laughs) reading books about leadership and learning how to be a better communicator and stuff like that. You know, it was just me and my little laptop and my little Instagram account and all of the orders were filled with these two hands in our garage. You know, that was like the first three years of Chinese theologians. And now we have a team, you know, I've, I have somebody who does all my fulfillment and we have an, an office and a warehouse and like, it's just grown and I'm going, okay, Lord, this is a new area of stewardship for me. Teach me how to do it. Well, I really, our prayer for Tiny Theologians from the very beginning was, Lord, if these resources ever stop serving your people, shut it down. Hmm. If it stops bringing you glory, if it becomes about making money, if it becomes about marketing prowess or making a platform, shut it down. And the Lord has seen fit to grow it. So it tells us the Lord wants us to keep stewarding this. And I need the wisdom to do that. Yeah. Um, I didn't get into it. Like I, I shared the origin story. I didn't get into this to be like, platformed or to have, you know, a leadership role, you know, I got into it because I just wanted these things to exist. And um, it felt like my little craft project on the side, you know, (laughs) my little creative outlet. But now here we are, and I want to do it in a way that honors the Lord and honors the people that have come alongside and been a part of this team. So you can pray for me in that and then pray for our church plant. You know, we're, we're so young. And I will say, I just, we love this church so much. <laughs> we love these people so much. And um, we just um, installed the first elders yesterday. Right. So we have three men who God has called to shepherd the body at Trinity. We had elders from our sending church who are overseeing us in a really hands-on way because they're like 25 minutes down the road. So they've been a part of our services. But now we're in this transition, which feels really exciting. Um, but you guys know when you step out in spiritual leadership, um, and then you get the target on your family. So pray for these men and their families who have said yes to God. But also we want their spiritual protection. We want their families to thrive and flourish. And um, we're just entering a new season. You know, for the longest time, our church plant was like 20 people on a Sunday night, like a Bible study. And now we're going, oh, we're we're like a church plant now. Mm-hmm. We're like a church, you know? And yeah. so... Um, it's fun not to be anxious on a Sunday morning. Is anybody going to show up? Like we don't have that anxiety anymore, but now we're going, Oh, okay. What would Lord have next? It's like that growth paradigm where we just have to keep relying on him. And, um, so yeah, pray for our people. They are the dearest body of believers that you will ever meet. And we just, um, love them all the way down to our toes. We just think that God has given us the very best church to minister to and minister alongside. So pray for them that they would be so blessed in the riches of Christ. 
Awesome. Well, thanks for inviting us into praying for them. I, I love your story. I love what the Lord's doing in your family right now, and I love how it's influencing people well beyond your little city, but also just the locality with which the Lord has tied you guys. Thanks for being with us today, and I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, thanks for listening, friends. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple our families, please help us out by giving us a great review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can visit one of our sponsors, share the episode with one of your friends. And if you want to keep up with us or join the conversation, you can follow the Family Discipleship Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We love you listeners, and we're going to have another great episode for you next week. 